Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. Where are we? We're in deepest Dorset. That's all I'm going to say. Yeah, we don't have to be specific about your address or anything like that. And who are you? My name is Philippa York. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. So how come you ended up here in deepest, darkest Dorset? Well, I needed to disappear from my transition. So I, I left one place as Robert and I arrived here as Philippa. And then there's no connection between the two. This way. And that was, um, that was a conscious decision and the best way to, what, to deal with it. Yeah, that's the best way for... Well, it's not just my decision, it's... I have to look what's going to happen with um, children and family and stuff. Yeah. So they don't go through a whole scandal. So when you arrived here and you assumed for the first time publicly being Pippa York as opposed to Robert Miller, what was, was there any sort of reaction or did people just... I arrived here with Philippa, so that's all they knew. Yeah. So there's no, um, there was no connection. You know, there's no reason for them to relate one name to the other. Yeah, because outside of that, you must have been well aware that in the cycling fraternity, people were talking about Robert Miller all the time, because as Robert, you were the most successful British cyclist prior to Bradley Wiggins, won stages in each of the three Grand Tours, won the Polka Dot jersey in the Giro d'Italia and the Tour de France. But you were sort of seen as a, well, let's be frank, a recluse, people called you all sorts of horrible things, didn't they? Yeah, because they don't know who I am. No. And that's... When you compete, or when I competed, I needed private time. So, I'd have a... a persona that I used for racing, which kind of allowed me a bit of protection. And then for my personal life, a fairly different person. And the persona for the racing was what? You were a bit difficult, you were a bit unpleasant. Prickly. Prickly is the <laughs> word, yeah. Or doer as a Scotsman, right? No, because I, I always laugh about stuff. But to fend off all the, the requests and the time that people are going to take from you, I'd be quite short and terse with my answers. Yeah. And was that because you were a racer or was it because deep down you knew that you didn't want to be in that body? A bit of both, yeah. you know, it's like, it's how I dealt with the situation I was in. You know, when people write stuff about you, normally you have a right to reply. Yeah. Well, I couldn't have a right to reply because I have to um, protect my family. So I can't stand up and say, look, if you can't write, you can't say that kind of stuff, whatever, yeah. because then I would have to out, out myself. 
you know, you, you were born and grew up in Glasgow, didn't you? And you raced up there as a junior and, and cut your teeth as a wannabe pro. And, and this is a whole different life. And this is a whole different <laughs> life, but we've got to tell the backstory, haven't we? Because that's how we got here, I suppose. People seem to think I dislike Glasgow. The thing is, I have no reason to live there other than being born there. Yeah, no family left there, no friends. So my family isn't there. Okay, I'll have friends from when I was a young rider, but I have no kind of adult connections to there except... You still feel like a proud Scot. Were you proud to represent Scotland as a racer? I was always Scottish first. Yeah. Always. So there's that kind of minority rebellion of being Scottish, which kind of sums up my life, really. <laughs> <laughs> well, since leaving then, obviously turning pro, I mean, that just... Even these days, of course, pros just travel the world. They will have a base where they train, usually somewhere warm. But you went. Well, I didn't have any family to go to. So well, where, did, where did you base yourself then once you so became I, a pro? I lived for my first year in Paris, in the outskirts of Paris, basically because that's kind of where I'd lived when I was at ACBB, the amateur club. Yeah. And it was easy to go to the airports and stuff. And then I made friends with Pascal Simon, and he lived in the, the Champagne region near Troyes. So I moved there. Did you drink champagne? I like champagne, yeah. yeah. But I don't drink. <laughs> and that's and, where you met your wife. And I met my wife there. And she came from a kind of family that knew about cycling. Yeah. Because there were three sisters, and each of them were married to a cyclist. She kind of got the idea. So it was destiny for her that she was going to marry a cyclist? Well, I don't know. You'd have to ask her. <laughs> <laughs> I guess I would. But the fact that her sisters did the same suggests that suggests... something in those genes, they like cyclists. Yeah. When you were doing this, Pippa, you know, racing on the continent, married, son on the way, did you always have that feeling at the back of your mind, or maybe at the forefront, that you thought, you know what, this is not me, this is not who I ultimately wants to be and how did you deal with that? I think eventually I, I gleaned enough information that I wasn't going to end up living this, dying as an old man so when that kind of transition time was going to have to come I figured out it'd probably be best to get my career with do that as best as I can and then that allows me a whole lot of options yeah. to what I do with my life so it was a case of what, making enough money to... So it's making enough money so that I have the choices of what I want to do afterwards, what I, what I can and can't do. But that makes it sound like I only rode, rode to amass a certain amount of money, which wasn't the case. You know, I, I'd raced, I raced because I liked racing. Yeah, but it was still your job. But it becomes your job. Yeah. When you get sent to a race, and you were expected to ride 100 kilometers on the front for the sprinters, it becomes your job. It's not, you can't say, oh, I'm not going to ride in the front because I'm a climber. You just get on with it. Knowing at some point that you... That it's all going to go tits up. Yeah. 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 Knowing at some point it was going to go tits up must have been painful to deal with that. It must have been mentally straining. Well, some days it was, but most days I would just turn off that whole emotional system. So that would add to that whole character. Yeah. Because so you're compartmentalising a big part so of your personality. I, so I would just turn off the emotional side that I 
was meant to have and then commit all my kind of resources to just being a bike rider. Yeah. So what, what kind of reactions did you get did, you know, so from, it's, from you teammates? Know, it's, and... it's strange because you don't... I wouldn't seek out their company. You know, so that that whole... You can under, I can understand why they would say that I would socially awkward because I would have, I would have been... Because I wouldn't seek out their company. So, so being lonely or being bored didn't affect me. Was it difficult being a dad, knowing that you didn't want to be a man? When you're in a marriage, you make, you make compromises. If the person you're with wants to have children and you're trying to make them happy, it sounds like I, don't, I didn't want to have children. Um, but that's not the case, obviously. It's, it's not the case. I love my children, but obviously I wouldn't want to put them through what they've been through. But I didn't have the information at that time to be able to communicate that to the people I was with. Yeah. In some ways, were you sort of waiting for society to catch up? Because clearly it has caught up now and people are a lot more accepting of those who want to change their gender. You notice the way people on horses always say hello to yeah. cyclists. Yeah. We've got two horses. And I can tell you from being kicked by one, it's not funny. <laughs> no. And you know they have the, 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 a brain the size of a walnut, roughly? Yeah. So all that muscle and bone and any anger that's in there is controlled by something that's not very big. <laughs> I'm sure I know some cyclists like that, Pippa. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Anyway, to get back to what was a probably slightly tricky point, do you, did you feel that you were sort of waiting for the world and society to catch up with the way you felt? No, I never assumed. Pre-internet, the only way you're going to meet another trans person, know of a tra another trans person, is if you come across them. And I hadn't come across any trans, trans people. So, were you I even did, aware it was a thing? I mean, I wasn't for a whole, well, probably until about 25, 26, I wasn't aware what it was. Yeah. Yeah, there's a whole internal struggle that, yeah. you know, you're meant to fit into this kind of role of sportsman, husband, kind of father figure. Yeah. And it isn't, it didn't come naturally to me. But at the same time, did you love bike racing and did it? give you an outlet and an escape from the day-to-day. -day. That was my day-to-day. -day. Yeah, yeah, I guess. <laughs> you know, it's, doing bike races is fabulous. It's just wonderful. When you race at world level, you, the terrain isn't a difficulty. Okay, something, I don't know, like, so they just had Zonkulan. Yeah. So that's a difficulty, but a normal mountain, at 10% isn't. It just depends how quickly you go up it, that's the, the so difference. So you go up it and it doesn't, if you're on form it doesn't hurt. Well, it hurts, but not a lot. When did you know that you were good at it? Probably when I went to France as an amateur. And I'll be in the front on kind of most terrains. And then you turn pro. 
and everybody was good. <laughs> oh, well, you know, you raced in, a, in an era with some of the greatest of all time in Bernardino and Laurent Fignon and, you know, Tour de France winners. Um, that must have been exhilarating. When you first turn pro, you don't realise how far you can progress. Yeah. You know, you, in those days, you start and for, you started at the bottom, and for some guys now, they, they start at the bottom in a teammate role. When you start at the bottom, you see those guys piss off at the end of the race and leave you behind. And you don't think that you're going to get that good. And if you progress enough of enough kind of percentage every year, then you do. And then you find yourself in the front with those guys. And there's that kind of reality check that, you know, you've made the break and there's Fignon Kelly, Le Monde, Pino. Legendary names. Legendary Batagli. And, you know, you're in the front with those guys and you think, shit, I used to read magazines and now I'm racing with these guys. And you see that now with Bernal, the kind of young Colombian who's just won Tour of California. Yeah. You know, last year he, did, he was reading the magazines and this year he's in the front of the same bike race. So I'd go to bike races in my, in my young, my first years. And the, I'd be racing with Moser and Cerrone, Freddie Martins. Yes. I only just missed out on the Merckx era. So, that that might know, be a good thing. <laughs> you know, so you're, you're, you're in races with them, you know, and, you, and you think, wait a minute, this, is, this can't be true. But let's be honest, as Robert, you were one of those names, and certainly from the point of view of British cycling fans, you were at the time, in the early 80s, when you won the climbing jersey at the Tour and the Giro, and you were for years and years afterwards because no other Brit got anywhere near. So what was it like having that adulation and that expectation on your shoulders. Make no difference? Not at all. <laughs> no. Was it because you were preoccupied with other things? With, with... It's preoccupied because you're doing your job. Yeah. So all the days you've spent training, yeah, it's good that people recognize you, but you've put yourself in that position. It sounds harsh, but at that time, where I was, what I was doing, meant that I had to forget I was British. Yeah. It had no influence on what I was doing. But is that because that just in Britain at the time there was a distinct lack of interest? Yes, there was the milk race, which has since become the Tour of Britain, which you won, but there was nowhere near the level of interest yeah, so that there is now. So when you were pro, you were an advertising board basically. So your job is to be in the front of races which matter to your sponsor. And as you said, there's no, there's no British races which were of an international level. So they wouldn't be televised. So then, why would you do those races? Yeah. You would get sent to a, a French or a Belgian or an Italian race before you ever got sent to a British race. And it's probably only with the arrival of Tour of Britain that um, you would get sent to a British race. Yeah. Do you reflect on racing and uh, being Robert much these days? Sometimes. I miss racing. I don't miss being Robert. Do you see him almost as like a different person? <laughs> well, yeah, he obviously is now. <laughs> yeah, you know, yeah. So, but I have to accept that it's part of my history and I, 
I know a lot of trans people kind of have an issue with that whole dead name thing. Yeah. I don't really have that issue because I can't, because I've done something in a sporting context and it's historical. I don't see the point in asking for those, that name to be changed to my present name. Yeah. So I did cycling as, as one identity and now I, re, I live as another. And those people are related and they don't hate each other. They just have a kind of strange relationship. Are there still people now who knew you before who call you Robert or mistakenly call you Robert? That, that sort of thing. Yeah. Yeah. And is that just part and parcel of that's just transitioning? Part and, that's just part and parcel of the deal that I've got. Yeah. When I meet people that, that knew me before, I can see them take about four to five seconds to process what's in front of them. And whereas I've had three or four years to do that, they've only got seconds. So when they make a mistake with names or pronouns or stuff like that, you can't be angry with them. No, you'll forgive them that. Because it's unconscious. It's only when people deliberately do it. Oh, really? That happens? Well, it doesn't happen anymore, but it happened before. Yeah. You know, people would de deliberately use the wrong, the wrong pronouns and stuff. When you have to deal with this stuff, you can't live in the past and have... I don't know if you've noticed, at home I don't have any pictures of cycling stuff. There's no... If you came there, there's no reason for you to think that one of the people living there was a cyclist. Why not? Why don't you have any of those, that kind of stuff? Because I never have. I've never owned a camera. So when I go somewhere and I see something worth remembering, I remember it. I don't need a picture. And that for, I know my partner, she, she takes pictures. And she says, oh, look at this. And, I, and I'll say, but I saw it when we took it. <laughs> I'd have to get a picture of one of those old signs at some point. I like that. What signs? There's just a, there's a side post there with like old, old fashioned sort of Lulworth Cove five miles. Oh, a finger post? Yeah. Yeah. The thing about Dorset is there's no motorways, there's barely a dual carriageway. So it's a bit like you mean in the 1970s. <laughs> but not with the attitudes, I hope. No, most people are kind of fairly liberal and educated. And do people living around where you do, do they know your history? Do they know that you were...? Some of them do now. Yeah. But only because I've been in the newspapers. Yeah. What's been the reaction like? They're still my neighbours. <laughs> <laughs> they, still, they still talk to me as Philippa, you know, that, that whole stuff. Well, since I've done the, the kind of whole come, coming out thing, um, and it's been well, present, well presented, it hasn't appeared in newspapers like the Sun and the Daily Star. No. So the people that will have read it and recognised me are fairly educated. Still, as a cycling fan, I think I think cycling fans by and large cared about you and cared what you know where you'd gone and wanted to know more. And you know there was a sort of once you'd retired, there was like a kind of a big gap, really, in the public consciousness. I think people were kind of worried. From the stories that went about, I think people were more worried for my mental health. Yeah. That I'd somehow lost the plot. And some people probably do think I've lost the plot. Yeah, but seeing you now and talking to you, you seem very sort of contented and, you know, not like someone who's lost the plot at all. 
let's be honest. Yeah. And you can still climb. 8% here. I've only got one gear left. <laughs> and this is not the easy bit. This is the easy bit? Yeah. We've got hard climb to come. Yeah. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. So how long, once you've made your mind up to properly transition from Robert to Pippa, how long did that all take? It would take me three and a half years to go from being Robert to being Philippa, to confirm that I, I haven't lost the plot, that I'm not crazy. Yeah. And that mentally I'll be okay. Did you always know that though in yourself? No. We worried that... You can make no assumptions at each stage. So embarking on the journey was a real so step I, into the unknown. So the whole thing about starting on hormones and all that kind of stuff, you don't know how you're going to react. So certain people may think they're trans and they, they're given hormones as kind of part of the treatment after psychological analysis and it's not for them so is it scary starting that yeah it's scary because you kind of step into a a place where you don't know how you're going to react and though you hope it's going to go well there's no um, assurance that it will and there's no assurance that the people around about you will accept it either what did your partner think? That must have been, I can't so imagine this, many conversations more difficult than that. So it's hard because they see the person that they wanted to be with yeah. change into somebody else. And although the kind of core person stays the same, the outside's different. And some of the reactions you have are different. So they lose them, they, they basically lose that person. And do you then have to go through a lot of the process together? Do you have to have counselling together and that sort of thing? to No, we both? didn't have counselling together. And I, I don't think that exists. Well, not, not as part of the whole kind of process that the kind of medical community have put in place. Yeah. There you go, you've cracked. Little ring for the first time, yeah. Well, you notice I've just been sitting in the big ring. Yeah. Well, the hill starts on the corner. Okay. It's only a 52. It's not a proper big ring. Well, mine's just a 49. <laughs> Tidy. <laughs> yeah, but you'll just spin up the climb, won't you? No. <laughs> I won't. I've been up here before. Is that the top? No. Oh, damn it. <laughs> Yeah, you're right, Pippa, this is a... Horrible. Yeah, bit of a lung buster. 
You could smash it if you wanted to though, I know I can tell. No, I can't. <laughs> I feel sick already. <laughs> it's one thing putting yourself through the transition, but it's almost like a bigger worry the toll that it will take or the impact it will have on your partner, your kids, it your loved ones. Everybody that knows me is affected. So children, partner, sisters and brothers, close friends. It affects all of them and it makes them question their kind of identity. Really? And who they are question it because of how they will accept you or not as the case may be well it, when you know somebody going through the transition you have, you're obviously curious to why so then you start asking yourself those questions yeah but how would I feel if I lived on the other side and a lot of a lot of kind of relationships don't survive basically you go from being in a a relationship which everybody recognises, including both of you, to something that you don't. Yeah. And how about you? Had you gone bit from being a straight man to being a gay woman? So I go from being a straight man to being a lesbian? Yeah. So you have to... So even for me, there's a... An adjustment. But then, I mean, your perspective on everything changes, I would imagine, when you change gender. So, have you gone from finding women attractive to thinking, oh, you know, maybe I find men attractive as well, or is it just that's never been part of it for you? No, I don't find men attractive. No. I see men who are attractive, and I can see why women will be attracted to them. Yeah. But for me, I. I couldn't, I couldn't go there, it would, probably mentally that would be too much. Yeah. What ice cream do you want? Oh, I've got to get these, come on. Which one you have in? Well, you have to get them, I've got no money. <laughs> yeah, interviewees are always like that. <laughs> There's some different ones in here, that one's mango, but the rest are signed for you, okay? I'll have a mint choc chip, please. Mint choc chip? Yes. Single cone? Yes, please. And I'll have a single cone of salted caramel, please. Four pound then, please. Thanks a lot. Enjoy. Cheers, Bye. you too. And I'll owe you an ice cream next time I see you. Oh, don't worry. I feel like home now, being around here. No, Glasgow's home. Yeah, really? Yeah. Still. But this is where I live. Yeah. So is that typical Scottish thing? <laughs> <laughs> or if you're successful... You leave. You, you leave Scotland. Yeah. <laughs> Well, David Miller I rode with, you know, the other Miller, your, your son, not my really. Son, my son, not really, yeah. <laughs> who, who, as you know, wrote a brilliant open letter when you, you, yeah. know, you came out. Did, did you see that thing where some people have thought it was him that transitioned? <laughs> no. no. <laughs> but, you know, love him or hate him, and uh, you know, he, he knows as well as anybody he's got his detractors. He has got a way with words, which is brilliant. He does, he writes well. Um, but, uh, you know, we talked about living in Girona where he is in Catalonia and uh, you know his kids have, have Catalan middle names and the boys speak Catalan Spanish, yeah. but he still as proud a Scotsman as he ever was even though he's spent more of his life in Isn't Hong it? Kong and Girona and everywhere but I think it's that whole minority rebellion thing do you think yeah 
you can go places in the world and you say you're Scottish and it's okay. Whereas mm. if you said you were English or British, there's that kind of whole empire abuse. We came and took your stuff kind of history too. Yeah. Whereas you don't get that if you say you're Scottish. <laughs> so you kind of, you, so because there was so much kind of crap written in the, in the Spanish newspapers, because obviously I'm, the personality that I was in, in Spain was fairly mm. big mm. because I introduced men to earrings. Mm. So even though it was, so I was known as El Pendente, which is an earring. I didn't know that because in Spain. I was the first sports person, or first person on television, basically. Yeah. To appear with an earring. Why did you wear an earring? Why Just not? For... It was fashion. Yeah. So I used to have a little gold star because I wanted to be a star. <laughs> <laughs> so when I transitioned, all the Spanish papers covered it a lot. And there was a backlash. And there was a whole load of that macho stuff. <laughs> because certain countries have a whole problem with transsexuality and it's it's sexuality in general I think, and, it, you know. and it's, it kind of, it's related to kind of prostitution and stuff like that right. they, it's not supported by their healthcare system yeah so there's a whole big thing in spain about oh i bet i bet he's just a he's just a homosexual instead of being a woman kind of shit <laughs> really lovely here lulworth cove isn't it quite busy today i can see why it's about 28 celsius um i just want to go back to the sort of the transitioning and What's it been like getting back on a bike, having gone through ops and, and all that kind of thing? What's it been like? When I had my final op, I think this is what you mean, what you mean to ask. There's a recommendation that you don't do horse riding or bike riding for three months. I went riding after about four months later. It was fairly uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. But and you wanted to do it. You wanted and I to wanted to do it, so I, I, I changed, changed saddles for a softer saddle because I couldn't ride in such a hard saddle. And it's only recently that I've been able to, to return to kind of riding what people would class as a racing saddle. Yeah. Uh, before I had uh, those ones with the big with cut-out ones. I don't know if they made any difference or whatever, but that was kind of the trend then, the big cut-out in the middle. So I, I tried those ones. I tried women-specific ones. But because my hip bones are male, yeah. the, the women's one doesn't work because it's too wide for me because a, a woman's hips are wider for childbirth so where my sit bones are are male yeah. so I need a kind of soft male saddle. Was it like turning the pedals that, again though as a woman I mean, they're still the same legs that, this, that this, won those climbs back in the day? Well they might look the same on the outside but they're, they're not full. <laughs> okay. They're a little bit older of course they're, yeah. They're not filled with the same strength. <laughs> The thing is, nowadays I can use I use all the gears. Whereas before, I'd look at a hill, and I'd know what gear I was going to ride up in, and I, I could I could use one bigger or one smaller, and it would make no difference. So I'd have three choices, and now I have no choices. I use the bottom one if it's steep, and the the kind of 12, 13, 14 kind of stuff is is no longer available to me because yeah. I don't have that strength. So I cycle as a I don't have any problem with being weaker because that's a whole, whole kind of part of the kind of social transition that I, I accepted I would be weaker and probably a part of me wanted to be weaker as well. So I, I'm okay with that. You know, I was out riding yesterday and somebody caught me. I didn't sit on their wheel. Didn't bother you. It didn't bother me. I let them go. I was riding on the drops, and this guy came past me, sitting up in the wind. 
But man or woman, I mean, you're 60 this year. That, that's going to be a part of it, isn't it? Yeah, thanks for reminding sorry, me Sorry, I'm sorry about that. <laughs> well, it's a fact. Well, it's, it's a, a fact, fact. Yeah. No, I will be 60. I think that's one of the strange things about getting old is that I don't feel that much older, but, it, you know, obviously bits start hurting and um, you get weaker. I don't feel any wiser. I don't feel any kind of more grown up. I don't, I, I've never felt like a grown up. I, I know Billy Connolly used to, used to, used to laugh about feeling like a grown up and I, I can understand how he, what he means is I've never felt like a grown up because when you do kind of professional sport, it's not a grown up world. It's basically a kind of fun activity and you're paid to do it. And okay, you take it really seriously, ridiculously seriously as you would with any profession but it's still basically fun and then you, you know and you, you can be a, a, you can be a 35 year old and you've never had a decent a real job you, you know you've never reported 9 to 5 you've never stood in the tube or on the bus or been stuck in commuting traffic every day you, you know you go to bike races which is just fun it's just crazy I want to finish by asking one more question how did you choose the name? When you transition, you can't. So, so now, so now we're in 21st century. So everybody's called something slightly strange, aren't they? So, so some of them. Some so you people. know, so so kids are kids are called Bryony and, and Charlemagne and really strange things. Brooklyn, you know, you. <laughs> are these all names that you considered? Is that what you're no, saying? No, so, so you, you look at it and you think, OK, I need to choose a name. And you don't want to offend anybody you know. So, so you can't take their name. So you can't, you can't... It's a bit like EastEnders. Nobody ever has the same name. There isn't two Emilys or two Charlottes or two, two um, Lilies or whatever. So you have to choose a name which is relevant to your age, which, you know, that your parents would have given you. And you have to choose a name of somebody not to offend anybody, so nobody you know. Yeah. Could you have just done that Robert Roberta thing? Oh, no, I'm not doing that. That, that just shows no imagination. <laughs> okay. that, that's the kind of thing that the tabloids write about you. You know, so that was never an option. So because my partner was kind of involved in that horsey world at weekends, so she has a couple of horses, and, so, and there's a few people. Kind of Pippa is a kind of horsey name. Yeah. So we kind of decided, so it, it became a, a choice where everybody's involved <laughs> because <laughs> they're going to have to use it. I don't use it. So you ran some names past your partner so, and other friends. So they run some names past me and we kind of came out with, with Philippa, which kind of I was okay with because I wanted a name which shortened down, so it shorts down to Pippa. So you that's prefer like, Pippa over Philippa. Philippa's quite full. That's like Matthew and Matt, which I... So, so, so Philippa's when I go to the bank and stuff like yeah, that and yeah. the doctors and whatever, official, the official name. And Pippa's my kind of day-to-day name. Because you, you, you've got rid of the mill a bit as well. And you, so I got rid of the mill a bit also because I wanted to guard my privacy yeah. so that when people did an online search for me, they wouldn't find me. Yeah. So there's also that. So then the, the, cho- the choice of my second name becomes a thing as well. Yeah. So what, what, how, what do I want to convey with the choice of my second name? But also it's nice that you get to choose. It works quite well with the first name. It's not like you call Pippa Piper or, no. you know. No, so, it, so it's, it, it comes out and it's a fairly, not sophisticated, but it's a fairly 
nice name. Yeah. Pippa, it's been brilliant to talk to you. Thanks very much. Thank you. Thanks for the ice cream. Anytime. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 